Welcome to the Ministry Mindset Podcast. The Ministry Mindset Podcast is designed to help people discover their God-given purpose and to learn to put that purpose into action. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ministry Mindset Podcast. This is Tom Darling. It's been a couple weeks since our last podcast. So today you got just me, Tony, and Jake are busy working and doing other things this week. But this week we are going to talk about the spiritual wellness wheel. We started with financial balance, financial wellness. And this week we're going to talk about relational wellness or relational health related to the four dimensions of the spiritual wellness wheel. So we've talked about Kazone, we've talked about personality, we've talked about strengths, we've been all over talking about purpose and how we put that purpose into action in the ministry mindset. But the key to balance in how we apply putting our purpose into action really comes down to the spiritual wellness wheel, as we've talked about before. The spiritual wellness wheel starts with that spiritual core and that hub right in the center of the wheel where our relationship with Jesus Christ, our our salvation our sanctification, our growth, our abiding in him all resonate at the center of that wheel. And then out of that wheel, we have four specific quadrants that radiate out. We have relational balance, mental and emotional balance, physical balance, and of course, financial balance. When we think about relational balance and relational health as it relates to our spirituality And how can it drive or help improve our ability to put our purpose into action? It starts with asking the question, what are my relationships like? Are my relationships healthy? Are my relationships built around a foundational premise of community that I know not just fit in or conform to like a normal group, but my community is what we like to refer to as a community of choice versus a community of chance. Most of us have a community of people, friends, family, peers, professionals, and employees, and other people that we work with or or interact with on a weekly basis that we spend lots of time with. My question is to folks is, out of all the people that you spend time with, how many of those people are in your life consistently because you've made it a priority for them to be there, Or are they in your life consistently because they're, you're related to them or they're in immediate vicinity or you work with them. And so they're there because it's convenient. And we, we call that a community of chance. That's a community around us that, that we interact with, or we gain our strength from, or we have deep relationships with because they're there. A lot of times those communities of chance while they may be fruitful and there may be lots of people in there and and it may be easy to relate to or convenient, it's not always healthy and not always the set of relationships that can really focus on building or supporting us in a mutual way long-term. There's a story that I tell in the ministry mindset about uh, a couple that we were friends with for a long time. They were very close to us. We would spend time with them. We'd go out to dinner with them. We'd play games with them. And it got to the point where they were kind of 
you know, our exclusive friends, someone we would spend, we would go out with every week. Every Tuesday night, we would, you know, after work, we would meet for dinner. And then after dinner, we would sometimes go back to their place and, you know, we would play dominoes or cards or something like that. And that became a regular thing, so much so that that was a priority amongst all of our other relationships. And that became a priority. And it was something that happened all the time. And it was an expectation that we would do this every week. Well, some interesting things about the couple. So, you know, the couple were a little older than us. And, you know, we'd known them for a long time. But he definitely had some interesting issues. So, you know, he was one of these people who, you know, his meal was never right when we go out to eat. And he was one of these people that was easily triggered by someone who was being loud or someone who drew his attention when we came in the restaurant. He also struggled with PTSD and a few other things. So on top of that, you know, he had to sit in the restaurant a certain way. He was a very bravado personality type. And if if someone said something and were looked at him the wrong way, he would feel led to stand up and say something or interact. And, and then she, of course, she was a, a devout cigarette smoker. And so anywhere that we went, we had to make sure that we were in a place where she could go outside and smoke before, before we would have dinner. Or, and then of course, after dinner, when we got home, we had to, you know, kind of work around that. And now these things don't, may not sound like a big deal, right? These may, things may sound like the typical stuff that you deal with, with people, but it got to the point where his interactions with the public were so negative when we would go out to dinner that I would leave work early and get to the restaurant a half an hour early to make sure that we would find a table that would be far enough away where he could sit and see the door where there wasn't any loud, you know, people, or there wasn't a child going to be nearby, or there wasn't somebody that might trigger him to react. And then of course we'd have to go to a restaurant where we know that they were going to make his food correctly so that he wouldn't embarrass the waiter or embarrass us. And then, of course, when we would usually leave, you know, often him and his wife would get in an argument or they would pick on each other while we were playing games after dinner. And one evening when my wife and I were driving home, we noticed that on the way home, we spent a half an hour talking with each other about how bad the night was, how much we did not enjoy getting together with him. And it finally got to the point where every time we would get together, the anxiety that would build before we would get together would be so bad that we would not want to do it, but we kept doing it every single week. And if there was a week that I had something for, to do for work or my wife had something to do and we were going to be late or weren't going to happen, we would, we would get, it would there'd be lots of criticism about, Oh, I can't believe you guys didn't make it a priority. We do this every week. And I don't know if any of you have similar situations or circumstances. Some of you Spend time with your in-laws or your immediate family or your parents as adults. You spend time with your parents or people on the weekends, maybe. How many of you, I can't see you all answer and raise your hand, but how many of you spend time with these folks and it's not enjoyable? It, you know, they, they may criticize you or they may complain about something you're doing or it's just not enjoyable, but you do it because you feel obligated to do it because you know, they're related to you, or maybe you went to school with them, or maybe they're your next door neighbors, or maybe they're your adult children. 
And so there's this obligation where I think it really hit home for my wife and I as we obviously we're very involved in church. And so we have deep relationships with our life group and with, you know, some of our close friends at church. But there was a couple that we had met at an event and we spent some time with them at this event. And I remember telling my wife, man, I would really like to get to know them. I would really, really like to spend some time with them, maybe go out to dinner with them. And and she agreed. But we had a hard time finding the time to do that because we had these regular weekly dinners, you know, interspersed with our life group and some of our other things with this couple from our immediate community of chance. And I remember telling my wife, oh my gosh, we don't have time to spend time with people that we can build a mutual relationship of encouragement and support because we are so busy being obligated to going and spending time with people that are dragging us down. And it was a big realization for us. I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, Tom, you know, is that even godly? Is that even something that I'm I'm permitted to do? is decide that I can stop spending time with somebody who I've spent time with for the last 20 years. And I'm just going to tell you right now, we have to have balance in our relational life. If we don't have balance in our relational life, we have to remember that we not only influence the culture that we are around, but depending on who we spend time with and how much time we spend, with some of those folks, they also, that culture also influences us. And if the majority of your social relationships, the the majority of the people in your social networks, and I'm not talking about Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, I'm talking about those networks of people, those circles of influence, the community of chance that exists around you. If the majority of those relationships are taking from you and not returning encouragement, accountability, and support, I promise you the impact that you're trying to have on them is going to be outweighed by the impact they're going to have on you. Never, never, never do we stop caring and reaching out and giving of ourselves to people that cannot return. That's part of our ministry. That's part of our service to other people. But when it comes to those deep relationships of accountability, encouragement, and support, we have to make sure that we are spending time intentionally with others who can provide that to us at the same level that we provide it to them. Now, I talk about three specific groups of people in ministry mindset, kind of focused around this idea of, well, who is this community of choice? And the first are our peers. The second are our partners. And the third are mentors. Now, what is a peer? Well, obviously a peer is somebody in your direct circle of influence with similar beliefs, ambitions, habits, and interests, right? They're the people that we make into our regular everyday friends. These, These are the people we work with. These are the people we go to church with. These are the people in our neighborhoods. People we spend time with because... We have similar beliefs, ambitions, habits, and interests, right? Now, when we're with those people, it is important to keep in mind that we adopt the beliefs and assumptions and the habits of the people, the peers around us that we spend the most time with. You can see this. There's lots of studies that show the influence of culture. When we, when we join a peer group, 
if we really like the people in that group, we tend to dress like them. We tend to speak like them. We tend to act like them. That's part of that assimilation that everybody goes through um, as we fit and conform to the groups of people and the other people in our lives. This is a natural part of the human relation experience. So it's really important, right, to be intentional about who those peers are going to be, who we're going to spend time with. Because if if what we're going to experience with those other folks is going to eventually rub off and we're going to adopt some of those beliefs and assumptions, we need to make sure that the majority of the time we're spending in that peer group should be with people who we can learn from. Now, as I said before, does that mean we stop being around people that need our support, people that need our help, people that think differently than us. No, not at all. That's our ministry. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to minister to others. We're called to be with folks that are different than us and to love those folks. And that that should never stop. But we we also need people in our lives that can hold us, as I said before, hold us accountable. They can encourage us and support us and have like-minded beliefs, ambitions, and interests so that we can hold each other accountable and encourage one another. So who you spend time with, we've talked that we've talked to our kids about this all the time, who we spend time with, who our children spend time with will influence their behavior. And if they spend more of their time with people that are getting in trouble, they will more likely get in trouble. If they're spending more of their time with people who are making good decisions and saving their money and, and not disobeying their parents and not using drugs and you know doing other things, they are more likely to not get in trouble if they are spending time with those influences. The same applies for us as adults. And then there's partners. So, you know, who are partners? Well, partners are people that we spend time with, we go through life with doing things, right? It may be a project at work. It may be a project at church. And the most popular partnership and the most obvious partnership that I can talk about right now is, you know, marriages. Marriages are partnerships. And we don't think of it that way. But, you know, in a partnership, a really, really good partnership is when two people come together where they bring knowledge and resources, right, that the other doesn't have. They provide a different level of accountability for getting things done. They share in responsibilities and they can help keep each other focused as they're working towards a goal. And of course, they also provide encouragement and support. Partners are amazing because you don't have to do it all yourself when you have a partner. Peers are the people that we are friends with. And, and sometimes peers can partner with us in a project or something. But partners bring a level of support and synergy that helps us to get things done that we could not normally do by ourselves. But I always tell folks, just like we're looking for, you know, who our peer group is to be, when we're trying to build a community of choice versus just live in our communities of chance, we got to make sure you choose your partners carefully. The wrong partner can create negative synergy. We talked about you know, having a partner that knows something that you don't. It can lend, you know, accountability and support and help towards accomplishing the goal is great. But when you, when you're working with a partner who does not bring that to the table and any of you, if you went to school and had a partner on a project who did half of the work that you did, or you had a partner at work that let you do all the work and didn't contribute, 
or if you've ever been in a relationship where somebody was undermining everything that you were doing while you were trying to do it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We want to be really, really careful who are, who we choose for a partner uh, as we're working on a project, as we're doing, you know, creating some type of ministry opportunity, or if you're getting married, I mean, it's, it's important to consider that before the marriage, right? And not figure it out after the marriage. Complimentary skills are always valuable when we're finding a partner to complete a task. Unlike peers, right? In our peers, we often gravitate towards folks that have similar skills, abilities, interests, right? That's where that peer connection starts with those common interests. But when it comes to choosing people we can partner with to get something done, complementary skills, the diversity of perspective is incredibly valuable. You know, we all want to choose our friends to be on our teams, but sometimes your best friend doesn't work as hard as you do. Or sometimes, you know, your height, you know, your friend in school doesn't possess the skills that we need to be able to, you know, accomplish this. You know, if you have two people that can throw the ball on a team and nobody that knows how to catch it, that's, that's a problem. And as we're going through and we're thinking about how our ministry is developing, or we're thinking about how we're going to be used by God, or we're thinking about how we want to accomplish something, partnerships with folks that can help us to move those goals along are so important. And then lastly, you know, for relational balance on our spiritual wellness wheel, one of the most important and valuable relationships that anybody can have is that of the mentor. So mentors provide guidance and insight and accountability and support as well. This is the most effective member of any success network or any community of choice is the mentor, right? They can become a trusted resource. They help us identify and overcome old habits and ideas. They're, they're the ones that challenge our thinking about things. They push us beyond our self-imposed limitations and they guide us toward our vision and goals. One thing that's great about Somebody that truly is committed to being a mentor is that mentors exist. Those relationships exist primarily to help you accomplish your goals. A mentor does not mentor somebody to help them change into what the mentor wants them to be. But the mentor helps a person to develop everything they need to develop to become the person that they want to be. And it's great when we find a mentor that knows more than we do, who is already kind of experienced what we hope to experience one day and has that knowledge and experience. Mentors are those people that are committed to the success and committed to the growth of the person that they're mentoring. I remember when I was a young believer, I, I had a mentor who really was excited about spending time with me, wanted to mentor me. He actually approached me and asked me if he could mentor me. And of course, as a 19 year old, young, motivated guy. I was like, yeah, that, I mean, yes. Oh my gosh. I learned so much from you. And we started spending weekly time together and he would challenge my thinking. He would, you know, if I'd say something that I wanted to do, he'd question me and ask me why. And, and, and then he would give me advice about how I should practice and how I should grow and maybe some things that I should do to expand my knowledge base. But one thing I, I realized about four years into the relationship, when I started to actually progress is as I started to progress and kind of get 
where the mentor was trying to get me to get, I started noticing that the mentor would start being critical and start kind of holding me back. And, and I didn't know any better at the time. I thought that that was normal. I mean, you know, a mentor is a person who spends time, teaches you something you learn. And then, and, and my perception at that time was, is the mentor is much smarter than me and knows everything. And so clearly if they tell me that I, you know, that I'm not doing something right, or I shouldn't be doing this anymore, or I should do X, Y, Z, I should follow that. And what I learned in that process is that some people mentor because of the value that it gives them to be the expert in somebody else's life. And that is not a mentor. A mentor is not somebody who teaches somebody and then makes sure that they don't ever get smarter than the person doing the mentoring. And I've seen a lot, I've been in education for a long time and I've seen a lot of folks who are so content and proud about the knowledge that they know, then they love the student teacher relationship and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're going, if we're going to invest in somebody long-term, we have to remember the mentoring relationship is not about just being a teacher. It is about helping somebody who can learn from your experience, be able to not only grow and learn what you've learned, but to be able to surpass that which you've learned and actually be better. Mentors truly are committed to helping a person that they mentor surpass their own place in life to move to where they need to be to be successful. That's what a true mentor does. A true mentor does not hold somebody back. A true mentor does not mold somebody into a clone of themselves. A mentor does not carve and build a statue or a work of art. A mentor is there to help somebody with clarity, accountability, support, and encouragement to achieve that person's goals, even if that person's goals are different than the goals of the mentor. And I just want to say to everybody listening to this podcast, if you don't have a person in your life right now who is challenging you to think beyond your limitations, who is encouraging you that you can call anytime during the week, who will ask you tough questions, who will encourage you and, and support you and then hold you accountable to those commitments that you've made and celebrate, you know, your successes and not criticize, you know, your failures, but help you through them. If you don't have a person like that in your life, this is the most important person in the relational component of the spiritual wellness wheel. Peers are a dime a dozen. We can find them anywhere. And thank goodness, right? When we become believers and we develop the fellowship of our belief with other folks, the church, we have access to other peers. And we can easily find folks that we can bring in to help work, you know, in serving with us to accomplish those goals. But, but where do we find a person who can come alongside and put their arm around and say, you know, do you, is that a good idea? What do you, what do you think about this? Tell me what you want to accomplish. How can I help you accomplish that? What are you going to do to take the first step and then ask, have you taken the first step yet? And if you haven't, what can I do to help you do that? Way to go. Or let's work on that. Mentors truly love the people that they mentor. And if you don't have somebody in your life that you can talk to, who can encourage you and challenge you and hold you accountable, you need to make that a priority today. 
And I really want to challenge everybody listening right now. Are you mentoring somebody else? Because every one of you also has skills, abilities, understanding, development, maturity in your life that you could share with somebody else younger, less experienced, who's just getting started in something. So not only should we be mentored, but we should also mentor. You don't have to be 60 years old or more to be a mentor. You have to know something about something and and be able to encourage somebody else to achieve their goals as well. Having strong balance in our relational life means that we have to we have to be intentional about who our peers are. We have to be intentional about who we partner with. We have to be intentional about our mentoring and our development. Never 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 will we stop creating relationships with people that that are not there yet that need Christ, that need us. And we will never stop investing in people who can't return what we, what we provide them in the relationship. That is part of the way that Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for humanity. We will always do that. But Jesus also talked about the fellowship. He talked about the church. He talked about the relationships that come from the fellowship of the body of Christ. And we have to be intentional about creating that community of choice so that we have everything that we need to be able to effectively do the ministry with everyone else. When we have relational balance, we don't have to worry about being negatively influenced. We don't have to worry about having somebody criticize us when we make a mistake. We don't have to worry about doing it alone because we put those peers, partners, and mentors in place. This is really, really critical. And I will just say for all of you, before we hop off here, if you want to create a community of choice and have relational balance in your spiritual life, you might have to make a decision that's really hard about who you spend time with. It was one of the toughest decisions that we had to make with this couple when we, my wife and I realized that in order for us to spend some time with some folks that we needed to spend time with that, that actually cared about us and wanted to pour their lives into us as much as we wanted to into them is that we needed to redefine the relationship with our other friends every Tuesday night. And so we stopped being available every Tuesday night for this ritual over and over again. You know, we weren't mean about it. We didn't say, Oh, we're not going to hang out with you anymore. No, of course not. We were called to this couple. We, these people weren't believers. These people were friends of ours for a long time. And we loved them and they loved us. But clearly that relationship was very unhealthy. So instead of meeting with them every single week for dinner and games, we would go out with them once a month. And it's interesting when we stopped going out every week and it became once a month and then it became once every two months and once every three months that we would do this, their behavior dramatically changed. They were on their best behavior when we got together because they were so excited that we were going to be able to go out. And for a while, they were very critical when we couldn't go and they would, you know, say things like, well, you know, you don't like us, you don't make time anymore and all that. And, and it's easy to feel guilty, but the relationship actually changed and got better when we started regulating the amount of time that we were spending with them. And as a result, where they ended up was in a much better place as well. But you have to make a tough choice. Some of you have people in your lives that aren't your friends, but your families. And your families are literally 
you know, contributing to the destruction of your relationship with your spouse because of the criticism or the expectations or whatever those things may be. And I'm just going to, I just want to encourage all of you. It doesn't matter if they're your family, they're your friends, or they're your people that you went to college with or people you grew up with. If these people that you dedicate an exceedingly large amount of time to, to put in that inner circle of your closest peers, you need to really, really think about how much time you're spending there. And if it's not healthy, it is okay. It is okay to redefine those relationships and redefine those boundaries in those relationships and make time to spend time with people that can bring balance to your relational life. If you don't have time to have a mentor because you have a whole lot of relationships with other people that are sucking the life out of you, I don't have to tell you what to do. You have to make time for the most important and stop spending as much time with these people that are damaging you. That is just how it has to be. And I know, I know it's hard. But when we bring relational balance to our lives, we balance that quadrant of the spiritual wellness wheel and help that wheel roll more smoothly. Well, I just want to thank everybody for being here today. And this is this is a, a it's an exciting topic, but it's also a hard topic because you know, we have a lot invested in our relationships. But if we don't start being intentional about those relationships, those relationships will influence us and have an influence over us that will impact the life that we get to live and the work that we get to do while we're here and can even influence the faith that we have and the way that we see the world and the way that we walk with Jesus. And so please, please, please take the opportunity to be intentional about getting that part of your wellness wheel into balance. And for those of you that want to know more about that spiritual wellness wheel, um, I write about it in the in the book that I've written called The Ministry Mindset. The Ministry Mindset is available on Amazon and print and digital form, and you can get a copy today. We talk all about how to put your purpose into action. And we have a step-by-step process that, that we walk through. I, I share my experience. And when we talk about, you know, how our strengths and our personality and our cazone can all help to lead to building a canvas to understand how we can serve Christ in our very own unique way. And then the spiritual wellness wheel talks about how we can have balance in our lives so that we can effectively do that and grow while we're serving. So if you don't have a copy of that book, I just encourage you to get a copy and we will be back in a couple of weeks and we'll be talking uh, some more about the spiritual wellness wheel and some more about how to put your purpose into action. And until then, thank you so much for being here. And have a wonderful day.